Welcome to the Weekend Outdoorsman Podcast, where our mission is to keep traditions alive, fueled by a passion for the outdoors. Whether you're a bow hunter, fisherman, or just love the outdoors, then this is the podcast for you. Our aim is to help inspire you to keep any traditions you may have alive, as well as create new ones. Any moment can be a learning experience, so we hope that you'll learn as much as we will through the guests we bring on here. Hopefully, we can bring you the right information that can help you seal the deal on that big bull, buck, or whatever game you're chasing. So sit back in traffic, the office, or on the way to a hunt, and enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. If you're new, thanks for tuning in. And if you're coming back for more, thanks for coming back. Today, we've got a pretty cool dude coming on. His name is Dan Staten. He is a big time elk hunter, and you've probably heard of him before on a little little something called The Elk Shape. He's got a big YouTube channel. I think he's got upwards of 20,000 followers now, and you can check him out on Instagram, Elk Shape. And uh, they've also started something new called the Elk Collective. Dan has partnered with Jason Phelps, Dirk Durham, and they have come together to create just this gigantic library and bank of elk information that you could just sit down and learn from forever, and it's called the Elk Collective. Uh, The one thing we're gonna be focusing on today with Dan besides his elk shaped camps that they offer across the nation we're actually going to be attending it uh, in february at corbin's archery in seminole texas so if you're in texas and you're listening to this podcast make sure you go and sign up for that thing soon they've got an early bird special going on right now Uh, i think they only take 20 spots so if you can get on there hop on there real quick check out elk shape and get signed up but today Dan's going to be talking with us on mental focus throughout the year when it comes to training for elk hunting, getting prepared for elk hunting, and we're just going to be talking elk in general with this guy. I mean, Dan's a great guy. He took some time out of his evening to talk with us tonight, so we've got some really good information that we think you guys are going to enjoy, especially you first-timers that have never been before, and you're kind of wondering on some certain things how to go about it so dan's gonna have some great starting points for y'all um he's gonna have some great information to learn from so sit down sit back and enjoy guys well dan we just want to thank you for coming on to the podcast tonight um you know if you can real quick just kind of give us a a 30,000 foot view of who you are and kind of where you're from and how you got into elk hunting for our listeners. Cool. 30,000, huh? Um, (laughs) what's up everybody? Uh, I go by Dan, the fitness man. My real name's Dan Staten. Uh, I'm the guy that runs elk shape and all that platform. I'm married. I have two kids been married for 11 years. My oldest is six. My second devil child is four and uh, I'm just kind of a dude who lives in the Northwest and I live to elk hunt probably a little bit more than most. Like I literally can't get enough elk hunting in my life. Started elk hunting about 20 years ago and 
have been kind of all in on that. Uh, I hunt other species as well. Uh, I'm a bow hunter. I would say probably more than just primarily a bow hunter. I, the last time I killed anything with the rifle was probably an elk in 2001. So I'm a bow hunter through and through. And uh, I'm a kind of a gym rat kind of guy. Um, background is strength and conditioning. Um, and currently I just kind of do digital media full time, which is a weird job. I'm going to tell you right now, but I live to elk hunt and I love to elk hunt and I can't wait to go elk hunting in a couple of days. I got one more little hoorah in Montana and, uh, that's it. So we saw that you just kind of, you tore your hand up pretty good. So you said you're fixing to go on this elk hunt coming up. Um, how, what happened with that hand and how are you handling that with this elk hunt coming up? Yeah. So first off, I'm an idiot. I'm going to say that I, uh, I killed a bull in Wyoming with about 30 minutes of daylight left. Um, just, I was actually walking out. Um, I always make fun of people. I do these elk shaped camps. Actually I did one in your guys' neck of the woods last, uh, this year um at cinnamon creek archery but we do these elk shaped camps and help people learn how to elk hunt and get fit and get their finances dialed and uh they're really cool camps they're very unique so shameless plug elk shaped camps 2021 we're doing seven but um i i always make fun of people who say i'm gonna hunt my way out because that's code for i'm afraid of the dark and i, I gotta tell you guys a lot of magic happens that last 10 15 minutes of shooting light and so um, after a long day of like probably 20 miles, no exaggeration, uh, I had a, there was a front blowing in, in Wyoming for about seven days straight. It was just, the winds would get up to 20, 30 miles an hour during the day. And it was always swirling. And we were trying to work around that because I mean, Wyoming's not close to my home. And so you can't just be like, Oh, we'll come back. So we tried to make it work. And that day I literally was on six different bulls and like, we're talking within archery range and all of them smelled me because the wind swirled at one point or another. Dang. And I was literally like, I just like, Dan, get out of here. You're educating the elk. This is a great spot. It was a five mile hike out. And so I was like, I'm just going to start hiking out right now. I put my bow on my back. I got my trekking poles out. And I just started trekking and I made it, I was hiking along this horse trail and it was along a very big Creek. So it's really loud. And I was just thinking about, okay, where can I hunt tomorrow? Where is the best steep, dark North facing Canyon that swirling winds won't affect at least the first and last hour of daylight. And I'll have a chance. And I thought I heard a bugle and I was like, huh, I don't know. It's the Creek's loud. So I decided to hike up the bank and at least get away from the Creek. And I did that and I heard another bugle and it was even closer. And I look across this little Canyon and there's a pile of elk coming down the Canyon to get water. And I had, like I said, about a half an hour of daylight. So I ended up sneaking in on this herd as they're getting water and I shot the bull. He had probably seven or eight cows and calves. And, um, all the cows and calves crossed the Creek after I shot and made it to the other side, except for the bull. And I was like, okay, 
and I thought I made a pretty good shot. It was quartering away. I was using a lighted knock. I saw it go behind the shoulder in a really good angle. So I went around the corner and he was still on his feet standing and he saw me, but I just pulled back and had to guess range and shot and got another one in him. And so he went maybe a hundred yards, got good, you know, really good blood trail Yeah. and dark. So it's not the first time I've killed an elk solo. In fact, most of the elk I've ever killed have been solo. So I started just spending about, this is funny. I bet I spent 30 or 40 minutes trying to get one good photo with the bull. Like I didn't have a tripod. I didn't have a DSLR camera. Uh, I had my iPhone. So I had electrical tape on trekking poles stuck in the ground, but then it was dark. So I was using headlamps to try to get light. Anyways, I finally got one mediocre photo and I was like, I got to start breaking this bull down. And of course he died up under a snag like they always do. And so I was like, pretty much fighting brush and a log. And so I like to, to run them up the neck all the way down to the tail and then start peeling the neck off. That's where a lot of heat is. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't going to gut this bull. I was going to just pull everything off gutless. And I got the neck, the shoulder, the back strap, the hind. And then I even got them flipped over, got the neck, neck meat. And I always like to keep the neck meat in one big chunk for burger. I love neck meat for burger. And then I got the shoulder off and I was just about done with the back strap and I was struggling to get the last little bottom piece out. So I reached under and just kind of made a cut, but I had my hand there and I'm using a goat knife from Travis Nowotny and uh, you can just put scalpels on there. So I had a 60 XT scalpel, which is a little bit of a longer blade. And I buried that knife to the base Mm. between my index and thumb Mm. And I did it so fast and those scalpels are so sharp. I mean, it went into me like butter. And so I immediately pulled it out and I looked at my hand. I wasn't wearing gloves, thank God. And um, because if you cut yourself bad like that and wear gloves, you can get the latex in the wound. Mm -hmm. um, So I pulled it out and I was like, Dan, you're an idiot. Now I used to be an EMT firefighter. I have a pretty sturdy, uh, you know, backcountry aid kit. I got blood clot, uh, tourniquet, EpiPen, a bunch of, uh, you know, Sam Splint. I got a bunch of good stuff in there. Mm. Didn't use any of it. I just grabbed my game bag that I was going to use for the, the backstrap and hind quarter. I just wrapped my hand as tight as I could. And I just started walking out. I like, I left my bow, my backpack. I left everything because I knew it was really, really bad. So I hiked out to my four wheeler. And that was probably three miles. And then I rode my four wheeler three miles and made it to camp base camp where my dad's horse trailer was. And I, and I knocked on the door and he answered and I was like, Hey, I was trying to play it cool. Cause I didn't know how my dad would react. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, Hey man, um, I killed a bull and he was, he was like, okay, that's awesome. And I was like, yeah, but I also cut myself really really bad and i need you to help me clean it out i feel kind of like a little shocky and he's like what do you mean i'm like well to be honest with you can i swear on this podcast go for it man i said i was gonna feel like i'm gonna shit my pants or puke. <laughs> <laughs> and i don't i think or both and i have the back of my head feels like it's on fire and 
I just know that I'm just kind of, I've lost a lot of blood and I just don't feel right. And he's like, all right. So he boiled some water and uh, unwrapped it. And then obviously the water had to cool down. He poured that sterile water over the wound and then he took hydrogen peroxide and just dumped an entire bottle of hydrogen peroxide all in the wound. Mm. And I, I had to sit down for that, man. And uh, he wrapped it up with some bandages and then gave me a couple of Advil and the guy had a leftover burger and I took like maybe a bite of it. And I was like, man, I just, I'm going to pass out. I don't feel good. I'm going to bed. So I went to bed and I woke up the next day and I needed to get that elk meat out. Um, so we grabbed a horse and we hiked in me, my dad and my buddy, Manny. And we, uh, Manny helped me, uh, cause I had one hand he helped me get that last quarter off and we got the meat on the horse and the head and we hiked out, got back to camp, got the meat hung. And then I jammed about an hour and a half to the closest town and went to an urgent care. And, uh, the doctor saw me and I think he's just like a GP, like, you know, a general practitioner type yeah. doc, but I was, I was like, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I need stitches doc. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you need to go see a hand surgeon. And, uh, I was like, well, here's the deal. Here's, here's the deal on that. Um, two years ago, I drew Nevada elk tag, burned all my points and I was hunting in Nevada and I got that in my inreach. My wife sent me said, Hey babe, I cut my hand really bad with the skill saw. I'm, I'm at the ER. I'm seeing the doc. I'm going to need hand surgery. Um, you should probably come home. And I was like, oh, crap. And, uh, you know, we had a little one in diapers at the time. So have you guys ever tried to change? Uh, well, <laughs> one of you is going to be changing diapers soon. But yes. <laughs> the changing diapers with one hand. It's that's, not. Yeah. That's not fun, man. So no. I ended up going out that morning and killing a bull in Nevada and then driving home and finding my wife, taking her to hand surgery. And we didn't have health insurance that year. We decided that that we were super healthy and we would save some money and just not have health insurance. Well, that was a $20,000 bill. And, uh, that sucked that, I mean, that blew, we had a nest egg and then it was gone. Mm -hmm. And so obviously this, this year I have health insurance and, uh, but I just did not want to see a hand surgeon. I was like, what do I got to do to just get you to stitch this thing up? And he's like, well, I'll call the, I'll call the hand surgeon. He's an hour away. And I'll see what he says. And so long story short is uh, the hand surgeon gave him the green light to stitch me up as long as the wound was clean. And so he had to pry that wound open. He gave me some lidocaine, but it really wasn't working. And so I went through that whole thing again where my head got hot. I was sweating, but I felt cold. And I didn't know if I was going to puke or shit or both. And they're like, they're pulling the wound open and looking around and prying and it's terrible. But eventually they put four stitches deep and then four stitches on the outside. And it's right where I put my bow when I grip it on my left hand. So it's like mm. right where your grip goes up against your hand. Yep. And I knew I was not going to be able to go to Montana. So I came home and that was on the 29th of September. And here we are October 6th. And, um, it's not, the stitches need to come out probably two more days. 
and um, the swelling's gone down quite a bit. I don't have a lot of feeling in my index finger. Um, and I've shot two arrows. I shot one yesterday for the first time, and that was scary. I did it um, on Instagram story live, so you could kind of see uh, the real deal. Like it really was kind of scary. And then today I shot uh, one sh one arrow at 53, and I freaking bullseyed. And I was like, okay, I think I can do this. So uh, I'm gonna go back out, but I'm gonna wait for the stitches to come out and. Um, yeah, man. Like, don't. Whew. Here's the deal. I like. I think I'm done with scalpel blades, entirely. I've had so many close calls. I love breaking a bull down with them, but uh, I just I'm gonna go with a little bit more of a duller fixed blade, resharpen. Yeah. Um, type Stuff blades happen so quick with those. It they do, and especially if you're with like I've cut up a quite a few bulls with my dad, like that he's killed. He's freaking dangerous with a like a Havilon in his hand. Like, I'm not worried about. I'm more worried about him poking me. So like, it's just, you know, I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner. But man, uh, I feel blessed that I didn't cut through an artery first and foremost. Yeah, and I it was mostly muscle. The doc said I didn't get really too many nerves. Um, although I'm here to tell you, I definitely hit something because my I don't have a lot of feeling in my index, but. My money makers should be back to normal soon. I just can't touch a barbell. I can't touch a kettlebell or a dumbbell or a pull-up bar. So I've been doing a lot of running and sprints and sled work and squats. And uh, my legs are just sore all the time. But I'm, uh, I'm going to hopefully head to Montana here shortly and try one last hurrah at Dugan Bulls. Nice. Sweet. Yeah, as I was gonna say, I, I saw that. That's quite the comeback. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's something that should be on everyone's radar. At least learn from my mistakes, like have the stuff in your pack, um, the first aid stuff, and then have it out of its packaging. It's really hard to get stuff out of packages when your hands are just bleeding or if there's blood everywhere. And, uh, and have a plan, like have an in-reach or whatever if you hunt solo. Um, I wasn't completely screwed no matter what happened. I was able to either take care of it myself or mm -hmm. send an in reach or whatever so man it's pretty crazy i know i saw your instagram uh i think it was yesterday or today of you shooting that bus so i was curious about how that how that felt for you today trying to shoot it was felt horrible um man. it's just it's right up against the wound and i kind of have to draw really really slow but uh, i can do it and I think if a big bull was screaming right in front of me, um, I wouldn't feel anything. But um, mm -hmm. I wore a glove today. I don't like shooting with gloves, but I wore a glove to kind of just take some of the pressure off the wound, and, and it actually worked a little bit better. So I'd probably be wearing – like I'll probably look like Michael Jackson. I'll have one <laughs> glove on while elk hunting. <laughs> did, you have, did you have to back it, off on your poundage? trend. No, no, the bow's the the bow I'm shooting right now is at seventy two pounds. It's it's not bad. Okay. Um, Matthews doesn't make. They don't have any bows past seventy five pound mods. So no, they don't. I used to shoot for mm -hmm. Hoyt, and I'd always end up with these eighty four, eighty five pound bows. Um, but now Matthews is kind of has a governor on that, so I don't shoot anything heavy poundage really. Yeah. Relatively speaking, so what poundage do you guys shoot? I'm pulling right at 70 
I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, I'm uh, I'm in 65 range right now. I think 65, 66. So mm, yeah. yeah, I really like being able to like slap on 60 pound mods for whitetail, or even antelope if you're setting a ground blind and you have to be at full draw forever. Um, but for elk, I, I try to sh- spit out. You know, I have a short draw length of 27 inches, so for elk, I try to shoot as heavy as possible. Yeah, yeah. Tra- the the bow I had for years and years, it was it was a, I think it was a 65 pound max. So that's just kind of what I got used to. And then, um, this past year, I finally upgraded, and so working my way up to the 70s, but trying to do it the right way. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, man, um, glad to hear that, you know, you were able to get out of that kind of hairy situation and glad your dad was able to kind of take care of you. But um, kind of want to take, take a moment to switch gears a little bit and kind of get our listeners to get to know you a little bit more as well. Um, you know, part of the reason why we started this podcast is we want to, have guys learn as we're learning. Cause we're not, we're not experts out in the elk woods. Um, you know, we're two Texas boys growing up hunted whitetail down here our whole entire lives. And, you know, we've just started dipping into elk the past year. And so what, what inspired you to start elk shape? How'd you get that started? Yeah. Elk shape started in 2013. I was, um, I'd say in 2017, I kind of got serious about elk shape. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of fill in those two times points. Um, my first job in the hunting industry was working for sportsman's warehouse sportsman's news, uh, in their media department. I was writing, I was filming hunts and I was being filmed for their DVD and, sold advertising and went to trade shows. And I did that for just a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then I quit that to open my own gym with a partner in 2007. And then I just back in seven, 2007 magazines were still cool. So <laughs> I transitioned over to just a, like a, I don't even remember what they call it, but like maybe a staff writer for bow hunting magazine. Yeah. And that led to some TV stuff with bow hunting magazine TV. Uh, a couple of years there, Cameron Haynes and I did like a fitness segment together. So I still kept a foot in the industry. And then 2010, my buddy and I started a company called train to hunt mm-hmm. where we wanted to create a workout program online for hunters. And we wanted to make workout challenges that we did all over as like a little competition running and lifting and shooting your bow. Uh, then him and I decided that we weren't very good business partners together. So we broke up in 2012. He kept trained to hunt. I kept the gym. And then I was kind of over the hunting industry for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I immediately started elk shape cause I knew I wanted to still do fitness, but I didn't really want to do fitness for sheep hunters. I didn't want to do fitness for whitetail hunters. I wanted to do fitness for elk hunters. Cause that was, that's my jam. 
Yeah. And so I came up with the name elk shape because I felt like everybody knew what that meant, like getting, getting into elk shape Definitely. or staying in elk shape. And so I ran with it. And then probably about 16, 17, I had a YouTube channel. I had some social medias, but in 17, I think I started that podcast and uh, that things kind of took off from there. And I was a late adopter. There was already a lot of podcasts out there, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I didn't think anyone was doing what I wanted to do, which was kind of a mix of obviously fitness, obviously elk hunting tactics, but I also wanted to mix in family and like how you actually get to hunt with the family and how hard it is. I think you guys probably appreciate what I'm talking about. Oh, definitely. And talk about finances openly and honestly and, I guess that was like the bottom line with Elk Shape was like, I'm just going to be who I am. I'm going to be very transparent. Some people are going to love it. And some people are going to like think um, they're, they're just not going to be into it. And, but that was okay. And so I don't think I've ever really experienced a ton of like growth uh, at once. It's just been a nice steady uh, incline of people digging the message, the brand. And I'd say the brand is basically how can you leverage elk hunting to make yourself the best possible version of yourself? And then in 2018, while still running my gym, I decided I would host the first ever elk shape camp. And I just put it out there on social and we sold out and I had guys flying in from Texas, Pennsylvania, Kansas, Nashville. People were flying into Spokane, Washington to come learn how to, to do the elk shape thing. And uh, I ended up doing two that year. And I was like, hey, I could do this full time and still run my gym. Um, ended up selling my gym to like my head coach. He was just way more passionate about it than I was. My fire was kind of come and gone with a CrossFit gym. I just, you know, I loved the community and I loved being a gym owner. Mm -hmm. And I hated it at the same time. Like I hated calling up people and asking them to update their credit cards so I could process their payment or deal with membership cancellations or go clean pee on the toilet. Like I just done that for 12 years. Yeah. I was over it. So sold the gym and went all in in elk shape. And so last or this 2020, we did six camps across the U S and next year we're going to do seven. We have a pretty strong growing YouTube, uh, presence we do some social media although i suck at instagram um <laughs> facebook and uh we do a little bit of writing and we work with our partners so that is what elk shape is um that's kind of how it got started and it is what i do full time so when people ask my wife like what does your husband do just like yesterday i told her to start telling him that i'm a blogger because she was, <laughs> was like struggling to tell people, oh, he does, um, he like hunts elk for a living. And people are like, what? I'm like, that's not really what I do, babe. Um, I do, I would say I do like life coaching through elk hunting is what I do. But uh, I told her, just tell people I'm a blogger or something. But no, I do podcasts. I do all digital media. That's what I do at yeah. the end of the day. Well, man, I gotta say, I, I love listening to your podcast, you know, especially when I'm on the way to the gym and I love how real you are about stuff just, you know, from the expense side of it, the nutrition side, and it's not just, you know, trying to get in shape 
for elk from a physical aspect. It's just learning everything elk. And so I love how real you are with it. And I think I wanted to ask you more about the delayed gratification part of it. You know, that, that part really stands out to me. I think that's the thing that just kind of like flared for me. Um, you know, you're working now for the gratification later. Um, but I think that's badass that y'all are just that part of it. I love that. Yeah. It's something that I probably started instilling in athletes. When I coached athletes at a collegiate and professional level, um, you're trying to convince people that, Hey, like suffer here, bleed here, not on the battlefield. And the battlefield could be three months out, six months out, nine months out. So it started with working with athletes and somewhere along the line, it kind of clicked where I was like, well, wait a second. September is so finite. It comes and goes Mm -hmm. every year and it's gone. And it's an interesting pursuit because, you know, it's not like a lot of other big game animals that you can kind of just grab your weapon and go. Yeah. You kind of have to really show up prepared mentally for a lot of ups, but way more downs. You kind of have to do your homework because you're going to probably have to change spots multiple times. Yeah. And it's one of those things where these darn animals don't live in a 40 acre parcel. They, they got, you know, thousands and thousands of acres of national forest to call home. And they have a lot of different things trying to kill them and eat them and their jobs to survive. And so it's not that elk hunting is superior to anything because you could work 365 on a whitetail setup from running food plots and running cameras getting all the sets for based on the wind yep. and doing your inventory and predator management. I mean, you really could be, you know, shed hunting, all those things you could be doing for whitetail. But uh, I just was pretty convinced that elk hunting specifically just kind of had a prerequisite of preparation. And I just, I know separation is in the preparation. And so mm-hmm. why not leverage elk hunting and know that here we are, it's October, November, and we're all thinking about deer but we still got to get shoot our weapon and work out because you know, the human body sucks, man. Like it takes forever to get it into tip top shape and it takes seconds to get out of shape. And I didn't design it. God did. We're going to have, we're going to have a long talk about that one with the creator because it sucks, man. Like I literally, you can lose your gains overnight. And so it's just a lot easier to stay into elk shape year round versus try to get into it 30 days before two weeks or show up and hunt your way into shape. It's just, you're not, I know, I know fat people kill elk and I did say <laughs> the word, I just, word, and I don't feel bad. It's a spade a spade, but I know, I know they do that, but I don't know if they can sustain that year after year. And I also don't know if they feel great packing the elk out and I don't know how sore they are when they finally get back. And I don't know if they had fun. And I know the better shape I'm in mentally, physically, the more prepared I am, the more enjoyment I have, the more limitless I am in the mountains. And the more I can walk away from a hunt and be like, dude, I gave it everything I got. And I have no regrets whether I punch a tag or not. And to me, that's everything is to be able to say that you you gave it your best. So that's the whole delayed gratification angle. Um, It's motivation comes and goes. But if you have something that you're working towards that's bigger than you, and you have a big enough why 
it'll overcome all those little weak excuses that that voice inside your head will say, Oh, just shoot your bow tomorrow. Or, you know, it's okay mm -hmm. that you don't work out today or, Oh, a bowl of ice cream won't hurt or whatever. You know, we're all human, Yep. but we all face those same little demon voices. And so I choose to leverage elk hunting for delayed gratification. And it seems to help everything else in my life be better as well. Definitely. I, I have those little demons, especially like today when I get done with work a little bit later and it's like, ah, I think I might just go home and sit on the couch and I'm just like, no, go get your ass in the gym, go get it done because you're going to be, you know, pissing at yourself when you finally get an elk on your back and you're going to be pissed. So go do it. Absolutely. And there's a mental dividend there as well. The more that you conquer that voice, the easier it is to hit the mute button when it's the last thing you want to do. And yeah. uh, to me, mentally mentally it's everything between the ears and uh, especially elk hunting or whitetail hunting executing a good shot um, being able to stay calm and walk you through it all comes down to what's between the ears so i just think everyone can afford to have a lot of reps at taking control of their life and you choosing to work out and not go to the couch may sound insignificant, but to me, it sounds very significant because it just builds momentum. Definitely. I 100% agree with that. Cause then it's like the more and more I get down the road, it's like, okay, now I've done four days this week. Okay. Now it makes it easier to do five. And the next thing you know, it's like, you've done a shit ton of days straight in the gym and you feel good about yourself too. Yeah. And you probably see better results and your energy levels are better. You're a better father. You're a better husband. You're a better employee or employer. And now we're talking about the best version of yourself, which is we only get one go at this life. Might as well walk around at our best versus feeling our worst. Yeah. I hate feeling well, And kind of to your point too, like, like making that choice to go to the gym or making that choice to not eat the ice cream, you know, it's, it gets, a little bit easier to make that not necessarily easier, but like you said, you're conditioning yourself to make that choice. The further you go with it, it's just as easy to slide back down that slope. Like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to the gym today or, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to ease up on my food choices today. I'll, I'll catch it back tomorrow. And then tomorrow rolls around and eh, I'll catch back up on it tomorrow. And three months later, you're like, what, what happened or even a week later sometimes you're looking down at your hips and you're like shit where did those handles come from yeah yeah no i i i do know of a way and this is based on my workout today i have a sweet program where i can get your abs to stick out but if you want to squat just an empty bar and struggle this program will work for you. I mean, I, I hunted for 30 days straight, probably hit hitting the season pretty darn strong and fit. And I just did a, a Windler squat cycle today. I just a mm -hmm. five, three, one back squat day where you kind of, you work up to a real heavy five and then you work up to a heavy three. And then supposedly you work up to a heavy single. And I'm pretty sure my last single was a weight that I could probably squat 20 reps in a row 
before elk season 30 days ago, but just, I lose strength so fast elk hunting, just because you're just hiking on your feet, dark to pass dark day after day. And I got this motto when I'm elk hunting and I kept telling my cameraman this year, I had a, I had a cameraman and he killed it this year. His pack was always 20 pounds heavier than mine with drone batteries and lenses and bodies and DSLR bodies. And he was, uh, he lost 22 pounds in 20 days. Damn. And I always Damn. kept telling him the only easy day was yesterday, Jake. That's what I kept telling him because there'd be days where we do 20 plus miles and the last thing you want, and you get back to camp really late and then you got to make some sort of food up and get your pack ready for the morning and not be late. And then by the time you get into your sleeping bag, it's 1130 or midnight and your alarm's going off in four hours and you did 22 miles, you know, the day prior. And so I just kept telling them, man, the only easy day was yesterday. And, and, uh, we just really pushed it this year, hunting all new areas, places that were all new to me. And I did it on purpose this year. I wanted to explore some new units and new States it makes me a better coach at elk shape camps. I can relate to a couple of Texas guys who's never elk hunted mm -hmm. and are going to be going to a brand new spot and they don't know what, how to approach it. And so it, to me, it forces me to do the, the, the e-scouting and then read the sign and really understand what the animals are doing when we get there and then take inventory of the hunting pressure and where the camp congregations are and where the majority of the trucks are and, and how early are people getting in. And, and so and how far are they going? And, and so what, how do the elk respond to the pressure? So it was challenging, but man, it was rewarding just to, you know, be able to smack a couple bulls in places I'd never been, but it, I can tell you, I never killed an elk my first day out. It was always like day seven of a six day hunt type, you know, scenario where we really had to push it to get in, to get an elk and get it killed. So, um, yeah, man. My point to all that is I lost all my gains and I'm in this weird purgatory weak purgatory where I'm just kind of pretty fit for the mountains, but I'm not really in shape when it comes to strength and conditioning. So, um, it's a weird dichotomy, but, um, I'll get back on the wagon once I get back from Montana and really kind of reset my program and, and get going from there. I gotcha. Richard, I think you got the next one. Yeah. So when, you know, kind of when we decided to start this, it was, you know, we're not, we're not starting this trying to claim to be subject matter experts or anything of the sort. Um, you know, for us, it's, it's trying to take people on the journey with us and hope, to let them learn with us um you know we've got we've got one season under our belts um and you know we're trying to to reach out to those guys who are kind of in a similar place that we are or you know they're just they're thinking about getting into it trying to figure out what to you know how to do it they want to go sometime soon in the future um you know for guys for guys like that guys like us guys like those people, you know, what's, what's a piece, like, what do you think would be the single best piece of advice you could give somebody like that who's starting out? 
Well, when I started out, um, I didn't really have a mentor and I kind of just suffered through what I call the elk hunting learning curve. And it took me from 2000. So my first elk hunt ever, I killed a bull with the rifle in about 10 minutes. And then I picked up a bow the following year. And for, I think four, possibly five straight seasons, I just, I would go elk hunting for 30 days and not kill an elk and do every mistake that you could think of two to three times each and uh, just struggle bus. And it wasn't until 2006 when I arrowed my first bull. And then from there, the momentum started picking up to where I don't know if there's a year I haven't killed two or three bulls since 2008. And so I've made up for those four or five seasons. And so I'm close. I think I'm one shy of 30 bulls with a bow in the last 18 years. And of those 18 years, the last four, those were four or five tag soup years. I would never ever give those crappy elk seasons back. If I could, I wouldn't, they made me so like every year I didn't get it done. The hunger guys was so raw and the drive and the determination. And it just kept ramping up. And I was like always looking for something that I could do to make myself better and not experience tag soup on public land. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I started killing a couple bulls a year where I started like gaining confidence in my systems and, and learning the animal's behavior and being able to almost predict what they would do before they do it. So that question so open-ended, I'll, I'll sprinkle a few answers. <laughs> Works. A few answers. <laughs> if we're talking archery, get a coach. Before you start developing poor habits of torquing the bow or having a too long of a draw length or your peep height in the not in the correct position or becoming an absolute trigger slapper and full of target panic and you don't even know it, I would get with an actual archery coach, preferably somebody with a target background who can walk you through your setup on how to bulletproof it so your equipment never fails you and you know how to recognize if something's wrong in the field and fix it. So an archery coach would be my first suggestion. And then the second suggestion archery-wise would be to go to lastchancearchery.com and order the easy press or the easy green pests and start, you know, tinkering on your own equipment and learning how to work on a bow even if it's just basic tuning or tying in a do leap or a D loop or, or, you know, checking your time. Um, but understanding your equipment from an archery perspective and knowing how to do a good shot execution. Um, I still work with an archery coach to this day, mm-hmm. especially if I'm in a slump and yeah. uh, I try to just let everyone know that I'm not a, I'm not a Levi Morgan. I'm a Dan Staten. I'm a blue collar guy who has some days where I shoot. Like, I feel like I could take on Levi Morgan. And then there's other days where I feel like I need to go to my coach yeah. and <laughs> work with me. So just stay humble. Archery will humble you, but learn as much as you can about mm-hmm. the actual sport, the, the equipment, the technical side. There's a lot of great information out there, understanding arrows and, all that stuff and everyone's got an opinion. So you're going to have to sift through a bunch of crap, but it's your journey. 
Um, once you've kind of done that, get some reps at, uh, in the red zone. And for me, I mean, if I lived in Texas and I'd be knocking on doors left and right, I'd try to stack up a ton of pigs, uh, get as many doe whitetail as possible. Um, maybe some of those exotics running around there. Yeah. Um, but I would just try to get a lot of reps in the red zone and get comfortable with being uncomfortable with that high heart rate and that little voice telling you, send that arrow, send that arrow. And you got to block it out and walk through your shot process. Uh, that's all technical archery stuff. As far as like um, animal behavior is super important. Just understanding the things that animal needs to feel good and to, to survive and thrive. And, and then um, if we're talking elk hunting, I would learn mm -hmm. a lot of guys want to learn how to elk call. They want to learn how to be able to use a diaphragm read, which we teach at camps. Uh, I would learn how to navigate before I'd even worry about how to make a bugle. I would learn how to read maps, topography maps specifically, read, you know, Google image overlay type satellite stuff and be able to pick out your routes, the loops that you're going to do, the best way to travel, the most efficient way. And if you start understanding that, you'll start stumbling upon elk trails because the elk know how to navigate mountains better than anybody. They know you got to go way left to go way right. And if you take a shortcut, you're going to be fighting brush and deadfall um, or going straight down, straight up. And you're going to just be wasting energy. But if you stay on the elk trails, you're going to be going left, but then you'll be going right and you won't even break a sweat. You won't even change elevation. And um, you might find a few wallows along your way. So just learning land navigation and how to like map out your hunts and, and your areas. And then you can start really predicting what an elk would do in that area before we've even stepped foot in it. So, um, far as that goes. So yeah, technical archery shot, you know, a coach working on shot execution, um, land navigation reps in the red zone. Those are all real good places to start. Sweet. I know that land navigation, that's a, that's a pretty good one to think about. Um, you know, like last year was our first year to go. And, um, I think we didn't really necessarily think about how to get there. It was, let's go get to that meadow that we're looking at on the phone right now on the Onyx. Let's go to that. And we just went balls of the wall straight for it. And we kind of paid yeah, we, we, we paid for it at the end of the day. Um, you know, our dad damn near killed us the, after the first day. Um, but that, that was a, that's a good thing to take going into next year's hunt for us. Just thinking about that, thinking like an elk, thinking navigation wise. Yeah. It's my camera guy. He's a hunter and we'd never, he was following me around. His name's Jake. He's a stud. And, uh, I think just after a few days, he was like, have you hunted here before? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, how did you know there would be an elk trail here? And I'm just like, uh, topography map. And literally, this is the only way to go. And, you know, we just were able to get into a lot of elk by avoiding trailheads, maybe taking some obscure road, and then getting on the right land features and just slipping in on elk and beating people to the elk that are coming at them from both sides at trailheads mm -hmm. bottlenecked with a bunch of trucks. And here we are on some side road, side hill and stuff. And there's not a boot track in sight because no one would think to go that way. 
those are the little things that really can get you into elk fast. And then the elk will show you the ropes once you get into their areas. What do you, um, with all the camps you've done with elk shape and just your years in the woods and, um, just kind of the, the time that you've had doing this for so long and working with other people, what do you, what do you see as one of the hardest barriers for people to overcome when you're, when with elk hunting, um, like what, what stands in their way to either doing it or doing it successfully, <clears throat> excuse me, doing it successfully and just getting into it. Like it, is there one thing that stands out to you that people need to kind of, they need to get over this hurdle in order to get into it and be successful at it? That's a great question. Uh, yeah. So people will not have clear expectations defined and they won't have realistic expectations. So if you've never elk hunted before, you, you need to stay off social media because you will see it right now. If you scroll through it, you will see a ton of people who killed their first elk and it probably is their last elk they'll kill for the next five years. They got lucky as shit. Yeah. Uh, you'll see people <laughs> that consistently kill elk year after year and they were not lucky. They're just, it's just a matter of time. And I think that if you're starting a journey, an elk hunting journey, you need to go into the season knowing what your expectations are. So if I was like, you guys were getting set up for your elk season 2021 and I was consulting, if you will, I would probably walk through what you guys done in the past and then help you set clear, defined expectations and goals for 2021. Um, have you ever called a bull in? No, we've heard him bugle, but we've never actually called one in. Okay, we need, you need to have unencounter every day for your eight day hunt. Like every day you need to get into elk. That is your goal. That's a really good goal. Cause a lot of people have days where they don't hear a bugle or they don't get into the middle of elk. I personally like to be within archery range of elk a couple times a day, every day. Ooh, and that happened this year. And I was in all three States with all new units. And there was no days where I wasn't into elk. Doesn't mean I'm the elk whisperer. That's just 20 years of elk hunting. But I'm just saying like, that would be a really good goal to have to get in. Cause you'll learn so much in every mm -hmm. encounter. You're going to make a couple of unavoidable mistakes. And I only say they're mistakes if you do it twice. So you're just going to like, maybe you'll draw your bow too early and the bull stops behind a tree and you're at full draw forever. Or maybe a, a bull will walk by and you can't stop him because you didn't have a diaphragm read in your mouth or maybe you'll draw too late and you'll get busted drawing, or maybe your head's not on the swivel and a cow picks you off. Um, or maybe you didn't read the terrain, right. And you weren't in close enough to the elk and you thought, man, the elk's uh, the, all the bull does is he just keeps bugling and going further and further away. Well, yeah, silly. He's in transition. He's not in his bedding area yet. So it's just like every day being into elk would be a good goal. If you've never killed an elk, but you've had a couple years, maybe it's any elk. Maybe if it's a legal spike or a legal cow, don't be like holding out for a 600 inch bull, you know, just getting an elk killed and going through the process of actually breaking it down and getting it out of the mountains and taking it home and butchering the meat and wrapping the meat and labeling it and getting it in your freezer, like start to finish. Um, just work your way through the elk hunting learning curve. 
don't look at social media and think that everyone's killing an elk but you. The numbers don't lie. 90% people do not punch their tag. And the 10 percenters are usually the same ones. And there's a few people that get lucky or get their first elk, and then they'll go into an elk drought. Um, that's, that's probably the number one thing is just defining your expectations mm -hmm. from a whitetail's perspective, because I do a lot of camps on the East Coast. The first thing I set, uh, I set up for those guys is I let them know that elk hunting is the exact opposite of whitetail hunting for many reasons. Um, there is no more sneaking around, like be loud as possible. And that right there is really hard for a whitetail guy to stomach. Like, yeah, I want you to step on those sticks and sound like an elk crashing through the woods and rake that tree and, and no, you don't need to spray down with scent control and take a shower and change clothes. And no, you're not going to spray elk piss all over your boots. And that's going to like, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. and I am a whitetail hunter folks. Like I'm not just an, an elk snob. I am a diehard whitetail hunter here in the Northwest. So I love whitetail hunting, but it's just not the same game. Now there is a time to sneak and uh, in elk hunting. Yeah. And I usually do that solo elk hunting. Like I call for myself. I have to sneak and move into shooting position from where I called, or I have to predict the quote hang up spot where the bull's going to come to that spot and he's not going to come any further. He should be able to see what he needs to see. Mm -hmm. I need to be sneak up to that position. Cause if he hears me break a stick when I'm sneaking up there, he's going to know that there's an, maybe an elk right there. So that's the, the two biggest things I'd say is, um, define your expectations and goals. And then, uh, don't be a whitetail hunter when you're elk hunting. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's a boat. I mean, you know, going to your, to what you're saying about social media, um, you know, our first year going, we didn't get an elk. And to me, I hate saying this cause I, it kills me that we didn't get an elk, but at the same time, I'm glad we didn't get an elk on our first trip because it's made me that much more hungry. And, you know, especially since we didn't get to go this year, but that, you know, that's when family kind of takes precedent to it at that point. But, um, I am, I can't stop thinking about it day after day. Like when I get a break during work, I'm looking at Onyx. I'm trying to map out where we want to go next year and I'm hungry as hell. That I was going to say the exact same thing, you know, were we successful last year in the terms of actually getting an elk down? No, but just kind of the things that we learned on the way there and, or on the way out and going through it, um, it was just, it was amazing. Just the learning that we were able to do being there. Um, but just the hunger, like you said, I mean, it literally last day, um, we went out that morning and it was like, okay, if we make it happen, you know, we've still got time to do what we need to do, um, to be able to get back when we're supposed to, um, it didn't happen. We got back to camp and got everything packed up and we literally climbed in the truck and I think the first thing we said is, all right, when are we going next year? Yep. Yeah. I mean, we literally, literally pulled the, pulled the calendar out on the phone and started talking. Okay. We're, we're going to go here. We're going to go here. Like, let's, 
let's try and get up here this time next year. And I mean, like we literally weren't even off the mountain and it was already, all right, how, how are we going to do this next year? I love it. Yeah. And I think that, uh, uh, I've said this on other podcasts, mine as well. And I say to every camp and I just, I'm always going to repeat it. Like two brothers going hunting together, you know, time is a killer. That's mm-hmm. what kills. So when I say I've hunted for 20 years, I've also hunted for 20 years, at least three to probably four weeks of September for 20 years, not 20 seasons of a 10 day hunt. Yeah. That's a huge difference. And so that having time will you cinch the news and learn a lot more. Well, let's be honest. Like if you guys are brothers and you're going on a 10 day hunt and you got to drive 16 hours to Colorado from Fort Worth. Well, that's on the front end and the back end. There's a day and a quarter or a day and a half of behind mm-hmm. the windshield. Yeah. Then you got to like find a place to camp. And that camp may not be your final resting place. That may be the worst possible spot to camp. But how are you going to know if mm-hmm. the elk are talking or not there and how many guys are there? You don't. Um, but let's say the star line and you good spot you pick the right trailhead and you're into elk well you're 10 days now down to eight but number one wants to be shooter for four of those eight days and brother number two wants to be shooter for the other four days but brother number one wounded a bull because he took a shitty shot on day two and so both brothers are looking for an elk that's not going to die for a day and a half and so a bunch of time gets burned right then and there yeah. And so I guess my point is September super finite, man. Mm-hmm. And you have to account for if you are hunting as a team that you need to be selfless and be a caller, probably leave your bow at home and just have a diaphragm and a bugle tube and rake a tree and throw rocks and be the world's best out caller for your partner and know that they'll do the same for you. And if one of you gets one, it's at minimum a one day ordeal and oh, it yeah. could be more. Um, and so September super finite. So if you can afford to take two weeks, do that. You'll need the time. 10 days sounds like a lot of time, but when you add driving and camp moving and, and bad weather or wildfires, it really can be dwindled down to not very many days at all. So, uh, I think people need to realize that when they're planning for next year. I got a question for you. So, when we both got wives that are really understanding about the hunting aspect of it, you know, 10 days, they're pretty cool with how do we convince them to say, Hey, we need that. We need that four extra days, babe. You know, like I'll paint the cabin. Like, what do you do to get that, that time? Yeah. Um, well, I set a precedent early in our relationship Mm -hmm. and where like the first year we dated, um, I was uh, a videographer I, I missed Thanksgiving. I mean, I was gone from end of August through Thanksgiving filming. I came back home a couple of different times. So she, we she didn't knew have it already. Kids. She was definitely uh, prepared for that. And we got married pretty fast. So my rule is two years, two elk seasons. Yeah. <laughs> with young guys listening and you think you found the one. There's no shame in waiting out for the two seasons. Yep. That's really good unsolicited marital advice. But, um, but everything did change when we had two kids. The first 
our first was not a big deal. Our daughter was born in July of that year of mm-hmm. 14. And I had a once in a lifetime moose tag, three elk tags. I was hunting like crazy. Um, but by the time I got to my moose tag early October, my dad was like, you know, son, you've been gone a long time. You, you need to not be very picky here and just get your moose. And uh, I just remember kind of, kind of almost stopping and being like, Oh my gosh, you're absolutely right, dad. I, my daughter, my daughter's, you know, grown up a month that I won't see. So I kind of got that moose killed real quick and got home. Um, but when we had our second kid two years later, I mean, that's just a whole nother, that just changes the game entirely where, you know, now we're talking two against one Yep. and my wife works and we're very blue collar, like all y'all, um, you know, daddy never, we don't have a, you know, a trust fund or nothing like everything's earned and that's the mm-hmm. way we want it. But, mm-hmm. um, it got harder and it's still get, it's still hard to leave. Um, so I'll give you guys a couple things that I've done in the past and I'm still trying to learn myself. So I haven't figured it out, but, um, I set aside a lot of time in June, but really July is like my wife's September. So it's kind of like the calendar stacked with, um, this last July we went, to Yellowstone. We went to Bozeman and hung out. We went to the North Fork of the Salmon River. Um, we go to like Priest Lake. We go to all these amazing places. And then we go to our cabin when we're not there and just play in the water nonstop. I don't, um, I don't do certain things anymore that I used to. Like I don't burn family time to go pick up sheds. Yeah. I love shed hunting. I love it. It's just, uh, it's a time waster for me. It's not more important than elk hunting. So I don't shed hunt as much. I don't bear hunt in the spring like I used to, where I literally would bear hunt for two months straight. I go two and three day stents and come back home. Yeah. Um, so just small little sacrifices. And then in the summertime, I'm trying to um, get all my, my job. I'm trying to get my job done for the summer, for the fall. So like I'm recording podcasts three months in advance. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to do a podcast right now is for another two weeks because I've recorded so many and I've, we've YouTube videos. We made so many YouTube videos this summer and scheduled them. Um, and then I got a hold of a nanny to watch my kids twice a week while I was gone hunting once for the day that my wife did, uh, worked and once for the day that my wife didn't work. So she didn't have to, deal with the kids for a day yeah. and so it's all about like i think just being super intentional and knowing that your wife is your bedrock and if your shit's not dialed at home you're not hunting your best period right and so it's just they go hand in hand but i would campaign for 14 days uh but you better double that for your wife that better be 28 days of honeydews <laughs> like going to like watching the bachelor or uh, taking her to some opera or whatever, like just, just suffering. Not really, but you know what I mean? Like just yeah. sacrifice and really it's just not doing suffering. If there's any wives listening out there, I know <laughs> we're happy gonna, to do it. We're happy. <laughs> and when I say suffering sacrifice, you guys know what I mean? It's just really, uh, doing their thing and, yeah. um, figuring out what your wife's love language is. Mine is total words of affirmation. 
And if she does like a little DIY project on the house, dude, guys, I better notice before she has to tell me what she did and praise her. <laughs> Still learning that one. Um, yeah. But uh, just, yeah, you can't hunt without an amazing partner. And, when, and the wives or the spouses out there, they make this thing go around, man. They do. They definitely do. I know I'm over here trying to figure out for January, we're looking at doing a, a uh, over-the-counter hunt for Arizona mule deer. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, now I got a baby in the picture. How how can I play this one? How can I campaign for this one? So. Yeah, that's, it's doable. I mean, yeah. especially when they're little, breastfeeding and, and stuff like that. There's not a lot you can do, but mm-hmm. boy, you better let her have a girl's weekend. Oh, a girl's night I, out. Dude, I've already been campaigning for that. I'm like, hey, you know, if you want to go, you know, I can watch her for the weekend or something. I'll go over to mom and dad's. You know, you go have fun trying to really push that so I could get that down the road. <laughs> she'll yeah. probably she'll probably smart kill me later when she hears this. Yeah. No, yeah. they're smart. They know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, to get back on elk, man, um, you know, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and I've always heard you talk about how your legs are what carry you, you know, that's that at the end of the day, that's what gets you up and down the mountain. That's what, that's what gets the meat back to the truck. That's what gets you to the elk and so forth and so on. And so when it comes to training, do you believe in focusing on one thing like your cardiovascular endurance, strength, speed, power, or do you believe in the holistic approach, really trying to incorporate all of those different aspects going in or are you just kind of like focusing on cardio or strength what are you what are you doing um so the short answer is i've done it all Mm -hmm. bodybuilding body part training movement system training functional fitness crossfit track workouts olympic weightlifting heavy you know power lifting cycles uh, I'll distill it down to this. Be good at as much things as possible. Gravitate towards your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Don't gravitate towards the things you already excel at. Stay consistent. And you have a formula for success. It's that easy. I do legs probably every day. I don't remember the last time I did a bicep curl. Like to try to get bigger arms or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I do total body workouts. I do Olympic weightlifting, some at low volume, some at high, different loads, different reps, um, elasticity, stamina, endurance, cardio, respiratory, mix and match. Um, yeah. My weaknesses generally are strength. Um, I I seem to be pretty endurance driven. I seem to have like running comes very easy to me. Long rucks, heavy rucks, my jam, but uh, short, powerful outputs of force. Those are the things I get my teeth kicked in. So I spend a lot of time there. Uh, And those are usually the higher intensity type workouts. So a lot of work, short amount of time. Those are also the workouts that give the, probably the most bang for the buck, but they also come with a price tag. And, uh, yeah, I think everyone's journey is different. So I don't know what your guys' glaring weaknesses are. 
you probably know, they probably already came to your mind. Oh, yeah. Do those, put those at the top of the list. If you're an all-star bench press guy, put that on the bottom and start squatting. Uh, if you're a really good deadlifter, but you can't squat, start squatting or vice versa. Uh, if you're excel at running, but you suck at sprinting or you have no power output, get on the plow boxes or get on the, you know, so that's kind of my approach. It works well for me, but at the end of the day, anything is better than nothing. Yeah. And you're coming to Seminole, Texas in February, right? Yeah. Corbin's archery. Um, we did, we were going to do two in Texas as far as the camps go, but Mm -hmm. ended up just, we're doing one. So, uh, that Seminole is kind of just way up there, kind of not near anything, but, uh, their <laughs> archer shop is really badass. Yeah. They just and moved into Corbin, a new shop. Yeah. That guy's really all or none. I like his style and he convinced me that we will sell that camp out and that his people will drive six hours. So if you have Texas listeners, please, I'd love to come meet you guys and help you shorten your elk hunting learning curve. Check out that camp. Um, you don't have to be in certain shape. You don't have to be a certain level of elk hunting. And if you, you know, never killed an elk or if you've killed a few, we'll find things that you suck at and we'll help you on your journey. Uh, you guys should go for sure. Be a good excuse to, to hang out and, and see you guys move and see how you shoot. And, uh, I'll give you all a tip in the questionnaire. When you sign up, Mm -hmm. there's a question on there. What is your max effective archery range? Be err on the side of cautious when you write that number because I will be testing it in front of everybody right when the camp starts. Um, so that's one of my favorite parts of the camp is that everyone writes like 70 and 80 and that, that's their effective range. That's, this, that's where they feel effective at and they can't hit shit at 80 yards with a crowd of 19 people and me staring at them and all they got to do is hit a target you'd be surprised so it's really cool to get that perfect practice butt pucker shooting scenarios there they don't come very often like not every day do you have a big bull breathing down your neck at 20 yards and so we just try to find ways to create perfect practice to create high pressure situations and expose your archery weaknesses and make sure that you have a way or a strategy to get those solved sweet i know like i think it's always funny when you hear guys that say like oh i'm great at 80 i can do this i can do that and then they come in and they shoot the ceiling at the archery shop (laughs) (laughs) every archery shop i've ever been into always has a few arrows in the ceiling yes they do so yeah yeah no we've all we've all been there but uh, yeah, man, Corbin's a really good dude. He's got a great, great shop. We'll be able to do everything at the shop, including the workouts. So he's going to bring, like, I got a list of equipment he's bringing for me, like boxes and sandbags. It'll be very minimalistic type workouts, but we don't even get to fitness until the last day. We actually start with archery. Um, for most camps, I try to make sure everybody has been coached and filmed and we can kind of go over things and their setup or their technique um, and then kind of work our way into the elk calling, the elk tactics, the elk biology, and then kind of planning the hunts and the strategies. And then the fitness is the easy thing. I mean, we'll get to that and we'll show people how to prepare, but it's such a fun job. It's, 
it's not a job. I just hope I get to keep doing it. I'm going to ride the wave as long as I can. That's awesome. Um, with the elk hunting, you know, one thing that you kind of touched on as we've been talking here, September, it's, it's very finite. It's short lived. Uh, but I think we would all agree that, you know, elk hunting just, it's not just September. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, you prep for year round, you think of year round. It's, it's literally a year round thing in some form or fashion. How do you, when you're training for elk, elk hunting, what's, how do you maintain that focus throughout the year? Like for us, you know, we're one thing that we kind of talk about is, you know, we're nine to five guys. We have the nine to five We're you know, we have our jobs that we're working. Um, we're trying to fit all this stuff in where we can on top of that. How, how do you maintain that focus for training um, when life is going on? Oh yeah. So we all have life going on. Rents due, literally mortgage, car insurance, investments, expenses, just everybody's got stuff, man, kids, relationships, dynamics, faith. Um, so here's my best advice is to do something every day in the name of better elk hunting. And that's, that's it. Even if it's just one thing, maybe it's six arrows right before the sun sets, or maybe it's 50 burpees in your living room with your kids. You're going to break a sweat. You won the day. You did something to make yourself better. You picked out something that wasn't super like seductive. I don't remember the last time 50 burpees was seductive. Um, but it's just the, the, the day after day making a decision in order to reach that delayed gratification that we've talked about prior. And so I don't think we have to overcomplicate things. Um, it could be 15 minute lunch break at work on base map or on X or Google earth. Well, you do that a week straight, you know, you got a lot of time on there figuring out your area. So you just kind of have to like do chip away and get something knocked out every day. And when you get it done, you just be like, yep, put a, you know, I just did something in the name of better elk hunting won the day cha-ching and anything else after that's gravy. Um, so that's kind of my thing. Uh, for me today, it was shooting that one arrow, uh, watching it bury into the bullseye at 53. That was awesome. Uh, I worked out at 1.45 p.m. today. I was supposed to work out at 11 a.m. Uh, a bunch of life happened. I had to take a kid to school, pick him up from school, and then my daughter's school's online. You know how it is. Like all these things, plus I had a YouTube deadline and a conference call with a partner. Got it done, guys. Got it done. And I didn't want to do it. Won the day. I did something today in the name of better elk hunting. And so – if I do anything else going after that, it's just gravy. So mm -hmm. all you nine to fivers out there, I feel for you. Uh, but like you guys know, there's a hundred and what, 168 hours in the week or something like that. So yeah, we're just asking for a small percentage of your time dedicated to 
one month out of the year that comes and goes. That's true. Yeah, I think that's a pretty, pretty awesome way of looking at it. Cause I know there's days where you sit there and think about stuff like, what can I do? What should I do? And like, it can be, it can be pretty overwhelming. It can be pretty daunting. Um, but to kind of think of it with that perspective, it, it definitely, like even just sitting here, it makes it, make it, makes it seem more doable, more attainable. Um, I mean, and it makes sense. So, yeah, I know like today, just me, just kicking my own ass, just telling myself, get your ass up, go to the gym, work out. And it's like you said, everything else is gravy after that. Yeah. And, uh, I'm a huge, I have a, a garage gym that's above average. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't start out that way. I call my gym elk parking because I have to, uh, I don't park in a garage now because I've took over the garage with mm-hmm. all my gym gear, but it's really convenient and there's no excuses. Like if I can get up and get to the fridge, I can get up and go to the gym. It's right there. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It literally could be a plyo box that you made yourself with a couple sheets of plywood and a couple of duffel bags you filled with sand in your backyard. And you have enough right there to do anything and everything. And so I always want to encourage people like, Hey, people are busy. COVID hit. People are spending more time at home than ever. Why not make a little elk parking gym for yourself or in your basement and try working out with your spouse or your kids and try to make it a thing. And, uh, Eventually, I'd like to come out with my own elk-shaped line of home gym equipment. I'm, I, I want to work towards that. And uh, it's not going to be fancy. It's going to be like, okay, here's your sandbag kit. Here's your kit to build your plyo box. Uh, here's a, a set of dumbbells. And then here's this pull-up bar. Go install it. You have everything you need. Um, but I like working out at home. And for you nine-to-fivers with kids – you should strongly consider that, uh, support your local gym. If it makes sense, it's close mm-hmm. and you can do it. I'm a former gym owner. We don't do it to get rich. We do it cause we love people and we love to help them live their best life period. But, uh, if it's, if you're paying for like a CrossFit membership, it could be 150 plus bucks a month. Well, once you get your gym equipment set up, you could have a thousand bucks in your pocket. For me, it's not the money. I have a membership to a CrossFit gym. It's the 22 minutes to, and the 22 minutes from that's 44 minutes that I'm in a truck. Yeah. I could make a couple of business calls or whatever, but it's just time economy wise. I just don't have a ton of time. I, I got to maximize. So yeah. Maybe think about building your own gym and, uh, and go from there. Uh, I do miss the community part of working out with a bunch of people and competing. That's always pushed me and helped me push myself further. But at the end of the day, uh, I can save time and money by working out at home and be more consistent. That's true. That is true. I know I like, I love the community aspect of it cause that helps push me. And then, but it's like you said, if you have time with it being right there in your backyard, if you got time to walk to the fridge, you got time to walk across the yard of the garage to work out, man. Yeah. And it's hard to make that excuse to not do it when literally all you have to do is walk 10 feet. 
<laughs> uh, so Dan, I know we're uh, kind of getting a little long on time here. We've got one more question that kind of a fun one, but could also be pretty helpful um, to anybody listening out there. What would you say is the most important thing that when you've gotten out into the elk woods, you've realized that you've left at the truck? Oh, everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I just hunted for 30 days and that's in a row. I Damn. You understand that. Like that's straight 30 days, no matter like three States. If I was driving to another state, it was in the dark. Um, always tie my release to my bow. And if I'm using a handheld, I always have a backup handheld in my backpack. So even if I get at the truck, I'm not out of the game. Uh, my release and is attached to my bino harness, which is attached to everything. So I don't really leave that. My pack is always set up the night before always because I don't, I'm never late to elk hunting never ever so nothing now i'm not a robot i want to tell you what i did leave and i did it three times this year <laughs> and you think i'd be smarter than this but like i got the inreach it's the inreach mini when you're going to mess with partner or your wife or whatever you got to take it out of your pack and get it kind of you can't be in a canopy you got to be in a kind of a little bit of an open area so the blue my cell phone connects to it i'm sending receiving messages three different times i got my pack on grabbed my bow and walked away with my inreach sitting in the middle of an opening and every time i never rec would realize it till i was a few miles away from it oh, and shit. then oh, i'd no. have to like think about okay wait a second where did i last use it so I'm so dumb by the third time I finally figured out a spot on the inReach to wrap paracord. And so I got six feet of paracord tied to my inReach and six, and it's tied to my backpack. And so it's in bright orange. So when I take my inReach out, I set it out six feet away. But if I get up to leave, it's attached and I start tripping over it. Um, that was probably the most embarrassing thing this year was just, I spent, I wasted a couple of hours, three different times looking for my inReach, but luckily I found it. So that was the dumbest thing. Um, I did travel out of state one time and I didn't bring boots. I don't know if you guys ever done that. Like packed everything except for hunting boots. Oh, it wasn't boots. Oh yeah. And tell them about that, Richard. I, I, I'm right there with you on that one, Dan. You and did you're that? Gonna, oh, it wasn't boots, but, uh, so drive down, meet up with dad and Will, and we get up, you know, early, early. We're on the road. We've been driving for about six hours. Um, and actually, we weren't too far from Seminole, where you're going to be in February. And Will was driving, and I literally, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I was looking at Onyx or something at the time. And I literally look up and I think the only thing I said was, oh shit. <laughs> they both look back at it. What, what, what? I was like, I left my puffy in my closet. 
sitting on the shelf, took it out, set it on a little stand I have in my closet, like took it off the shelf where I have all my hunting gear and put it there so that I would specifically see it and make sure to put it in my pack before we left. And yeah, man, puffies are life. If you're skinny and get cold easy and that's yeah. like, that's an item I don't take out of my pack. Uh, I like, I wear this Kelvin from Sika and it's puffy, puffy, but it mm-hmm. compresses it down. It's like my sleeping, it's like a sleeping bag, man. Mm-hmm. And yep. I can't tell you that thing comes out every day at some point. So people listening may be like, Oh, you, you can get by. Yes. But it really affects your hunt. Yeah. No yeah. boots is the worst though. Hunting. I had to hunt in like cross training shoes. so i was lucky enough and this is one of those where guys you know take take care of your wife because even if she's not on the mountain with you she's still your 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 partner feel her beaming us in the back of the head from seven hours away i could feel how she was i i'm fortunate (laughs) enough that i i actually work for an airline and so as soon as I realized it happened, I, you know, I'm calling work. I'm like, Hey, what, you know, do we have anything going to this city? Well, we ended up being able to, um, to get the jacket on one of our planes and get it to Albuquerque and it would beat us there to where we could pick it up and then keep on going to Colorado. And, uh, but that didn't mean that I had to call my wife in the middle of her day convince her to get said jacket pack both of our kids up into the car drive an hour to where i work get the jacket checked in signed up for cargo all that fun stuff and get it on the plane so yeah definitely uh definitely lucked out there she's an all-star man I think I think he's still making up on honeydews for that one. Oh, I I will never ever live that one down. Uh -uh. But that's okay. You live, you learn. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Dan, man, we just want to thank you for coming on tonight and just talking to elk, getting ready for the mountain. We really appreciate the time that you took tonight, and I know it means a lot to me that and to Richard as well that you know you got to start summer with the podcast and just that you were able to do this with us. We, we really appreciate it. Guys, my pleasure. You guys are super lucky to have each other and shared a common bond and interest in this thing called hunting. So I'm pumped for you both. I think big things are on the horizon. I hope we get to meet you in person. And there you have it, folks. We got some good elk knowledge from Dan over at elk shape. If you want to attend one of Dan's Elk Shape camps, go on over to elkshape.com and check out all the different camps that he has available upcoming this winter and spring. If you want to follow along with him, go to his Instagram at elkshape or check him out on YouTube. He's got a ton of information there as well as his podcast. It's just the Elk Shape podcast. I personally love listening to it on the way to the gym. I have picked up a lot of knowledge from him and the guests that he's brought on there. So if you want to check him out, Elk Shape, he's got a ton of stuff for you guys. And we hope that y'all learned a lot today and uh, we'll see y'all next time.